0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to CEO Journals. For those of you that are new here, thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Ethan Bridge, and on today's show, I had the pleasure in speaking to Joshua Lysick. Every day, Joshua helps authors manifest the mission behind their voice. He's the world's only award-winning, celebrity-recommended, number one international best-selling certified professional ghostwriter and the founder of The Entrepreneur's Wordsmith. Since 2011, Joshua has ghostwritten 40 books and has been featured in TED, TEDx, BBC Radio London, Founder, American Express, Yahoo and numerous other outlets. In just the past couple of years, his author clients have used a book to build a $1 million product funnel, converted many readers into consulting clients that they need a waiting list, exceeded book sale goals by 200% thanks to top media appearances, averaged 10,000 copies sold per month and achieved a 70x return on their investment in their book. I know everyone here is going to love hearing a celebrity ghostwriter's secrets to organise your mental library, outline the best, marketable version of your book and build a platform before your book is even available for pre-order. In other words, Joshua's topic is not so much about ghostwriting, but rather how self-starters can cut through their fears, turn past mistakes into assets, and write content that attracts opportunities. This episode is packed full of value, so without further ado, let's dive straight into it. Enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. Today on the show, you have the pleasure of listening to Joshua Lysick. Joshua, how are you doing today?
1: I'm pretty dandy. Thanks for having me on your show, Ethan.
0: No, the pleasure is mine, and I can't wait for you to drop a ton of knowledge for all of our listeners today. So, for those who don't know who you are, just give us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do.
1: Sure thing, sure thing. As Ethan said, I'm I'm Joshua Lysik. I am the only award-winning celebrity recommended number one international best-selling certified professional ghostwriter in the world. I have ghostwritten over 40 books for everyone from your A-list celebrities, entrepreneur success stories we all know of, the breakout stars of tomorrow, and even the occasional great-grandma who wants to tell her story, what it was like to grow up during the war.
0: I love that. But How does one get so many accolades? Because that was a mouthful and you've clearly learned that off by heart, which is pretty good going.
1: When your hobby, your passion, your lifestyle is your business, they just naturally seem to add up
0: perfect and i can't wait to dive more into that but the way i like to start all my episodes is by throwing it back with my guests and asking them about their upbringing and time at school so let's focus on the 15 year old version of yourself how did you find school were you the class clown that sat in the back and didn't really concentrate or were you that straight a student put all the effort in and just absolutely nailed it
1: i was the nerd So I was homeschooled as a lot of people are where I live in the States in Ohio specifically homeschooling is quite popular here in the Midwest. So I was homeschooled and in that type of an upbringing, your learning is self-directed basically what you want to study so long as it meets the minimum requirements, that's what you study. So I was regularly getting ahead of the lesson plans. We had all sorts of curriculum. Um, by that age, I was fluent in classical Latin, interestingly enough. We, we, uh, my, my mother had us take the uh, Cambridge University Latin, so the actual, the actual Latin curriculum at Cambridge University. It, meets, it met a foreign language requirement, so that's what we studied, interestingly uh, enough. Another thing that I did, 15-year-old Joshua did, because there wasn't much of a social life as a homeschooled kid, one of my hobbies, my pastime, my great extracurricular activity was to read the entire Encyclopedia Americana A through Z When I'd get done with my schoolwork I had nothing much else to do during the cold long hours of winter and so I would sit down in our cellar <laughs> aka schoolroom and pick up a volume and just start reading so I became a, quite a bit of a knowledge a sponge which as it turns out is extraordinarily helpful when you become a ghostwriter because you already know a lot about the topic that your new client is wanting to write about.
0: Definitely. Being homeschooled then, did you find it difficult to socialize and make friends or was that something that you sort of just picked up over time and were okay with that despite being homeschooled and having a little social life as you quote?
1: I, w- I definitely had a social life amongst other homeschool kids because there there's different co-ops where a bunch of parents are like homeschooling their kids all, all together and then different parents will kind of uh, 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 donate their time so to speak in teaching a, a class. We had actually a, a homeschool basketball team. So we played a lot of private schools, public schools um, in, the, uh, in the kind of the, in the Midwest. So we got that element as well. But it was very strange going from homeschool to college to university because it was the first time I was exposed to popular culture <laughs> and I found that the, you know, I, I was a high school senior at, at 15, which is the la- like the equivalent I think in England would be like the, the last year of schooling before you go yeah. on to university or to college. Um, so I entered university at relatively much younger than my, my peers were and I could not relate to them at all. They're over there talking about um, the latest video game and I'm like, okay, so how, how, how fast can we get jobs with our degrees? You know, and they're, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh, I got hammered on Saturday night. Oh, good party in the booze. I'm like, don't you have a, you know, a, a job or something? Cause I had multiple part-time jobs. Yeah. I started my business when I was in college. And so it was, it was very different because I could not relate it a lot to my, my peers at the time, which it turns out was, was was okay because when you get started when you start your business at 19 and everybody else is busy drinking beer or something like that you have quite a bit of an advantage in the years ahead
0: for sure so you don't regret that at all you don't look back and thinking i could have done could have done the fun stuff in university that all of these people were talking about that's not a regret of yours at all
1: that's right especially since uh many of them are still paying off their student loan debts and will be for the next couple of decades
0: and you've completely smashed that out the park already.
1: Oh yes, yeah. Being homeschooled, it's it's pretty easy to to qualify for for scholarships. So I got quite a few of those to pay for pay for things, and even had some extra left over, <laughs> you know, for uh, for for paying my bills. And that sort of thing, which is pretty awesome.
0: Perfect. And then, and as a nineteen-year-old in that position as well, you must have felt pretty good about yourself, because as you say, looking at the others that are in a hell of a lot of debt you must have been, felt pretty smug to say the least.
1: Yeah, because you're starting a lot further on down the line. So at this point right now, I'm, I'm still in my 20s to this day, and uh, I own several investment properties, real estate properties that produce residual income for, uh, for us, our family, every single month, whether I work or not, our family can pay the bills, or at least a portion of the bills you know, to, to survive. Mm-hmm. And to think that, a lot of my peers, fellow millennials, are doing the exact opposite. They're paying out every month no matter what. They have to meet those student loan payments. Um, it's, it's it's a sad commentary on our generation, unfortunately. And that's what I gave my TEDx talk about was the world of the millennial coming out of college and university with a student loan debt with very few opportunities. And I tell the story of how I did it differently from just about day one uh, as soon as I, I, I only lasted about a year in the corporate world. For that reason like yeah this this is not what i i got two college degrees for this is this is not it
0: <laughs> so i find that topic super interesting because being 20 and myself i didn't go to university either i went straight into a job so i've and all of my friends are at university and you say racking up debt this that and the other nothing against it at all it just wasn't what i wanted to do i so i've always worked from the day i turned 16 so that's when you can get a job in the uk mm-hmm. Got a job the day I turned 16 and always been obsessed with just working from that point. So when university came around, when I knew I wouldn't have time to work alongside, I thought, God, I'm going to have no money. I'm from 16. I've always had that income for myself. I've always worked towards my parents never. As soon as I started earning money, they didn't give me money anymore. So the fact that that luxury would have been taken away from me, I was like, no, oh God, no, that is not for me. So I went down a different route all my friends majority of my school went to university it was because i went to a a school where academics were pushed quite hard we everyone did quite well in what they did so university was the route that they pushed and they were it was it was supported for me to not go to university but not so they were quite hesitant to say they were they're pretty much like are you sure you want are you sure this not many everyone goes to university you sure it's the right bit. i personally think and same as you as you say i think i made the right decision because again i haven't got that debt and i've been earning money so Mm -hmm. i love that view and the fact that you have done a very similar but you've actually got two degrees and no debt so you're in a win-win situation there so you touched on the fact that you were in the corporate world for a year what did you do
1: Yes, yes. So I did a, uh, I guess I had a kind of a composite job. My, I don't even remember what my official title was exactly, but it was something, it was kind of a blend of human resources, people operations uh, inside of the business, along with proficiency and development, which is basically building out standard operating procedures to systematize the business, to make it more profitable and sell more easily, which it did for about $74 million soon after I left. (laughs) You probably should have negotiated some type of some type of payout there but it is what it is when you're 20 years old right and then um, the other portion of the job actually was marketing communications creating a lot of content marketing assets collateral for the website for campaigns that sort of a thing and I was a little bit all over the place um, with with what, what my job was and that I think worked really well to transition right from the corporate world to my own Um, My own gig full-time which I'd had on the side for a couple of years by that point and Because I had minimized my risk rather than going from Crazy in debt Green college kid to working at the bottom of a corporate hierarchy to trying to go solo paying on student debt That's like the worst way I think to try entrepreneurship, you know in my case. I was completely debt-free I had a savings I had a I had a business I started when I was in my 3rd of 4 years in university. So I kind of knew what I was doing. I had some solo income from being a freelancer and then I had the corporate job, you know, that I got soon after that. So my corporate cubicle to entrepreneurial success story was safer than a lot of others. And I always recommend that you try to have as much of a cushion as you can because that allows you to go for the big wins rather than take any old crappy client who comes along.
0: For sure. And I definitely agree with that. Cause I, uh, you hear these stories of people literally going out on a whim and hoping that it works. And in some cases it does, but in many cases it doesn't, we only seem to see the success stories, but we don't hear about the people, the, the majority that end actually fail. So at what point did you realize then that, Oh God, like, I can do this this is I can make a serious amount of money from doing this side gig.
1: I think it was actually when my, my boss at the time my my supervisor at the at the uh, communications um, company the corporate job she actually took me aside one day and told me because she knew I was freelancing on the side being doing some professional writing worked on a couple of books at that point already she told me Joshua there's no future for you here you're really really good at what you do as a writer. And we're not ever going to have a full-time writer position open because this is a tech company, you know, and you've already written everything you could possibly write for us, is <laughs> what, what she said. Um, said, so you're good enough that you should be writing professionally. This is not a you're fired in two weeks conversation or getting the pinks of anything like that. It was for your own, in your own best interest, Joshua, you need to start your own full-time gig, You know, transition out of this job into something full-time. And when your supervisor says that to you, and there's no, please leave, please quit, anything like that, it was we hate to, we hate to uh, hate to um, you know get you out of here. But your real, you know, it's obvious that your real skill is in writing professionally, so that's what you should be doing. One time, one day, and so it was a couple of days later. I turned in my notice and I transitioned to the full time gig. That was about uh, six and a half years ago that I did that. Um, very 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 good good decision for sure
0: sure and i think that's super interesting as well that your boss actually came out and said that to you as if to say look why are you still here sort of thing like you are so good at what you do why aren't you taking advantage of that the fact that your boss who you clearly do extremely good work for who would you would be a detriment to lose the fact that she came up to you or he i don't know sorry i missed Mm -hmm. that but Mm -hmm. she the fact that she came up to you and said that it must have been quite inspiring for you as well to then go cool am i actually that good
1: yeah it's always it's always an advantage when someone that you respect gives you a green light a thumbs up a go for it kid type of a type of a signal and funny enough a couple of years after that she took her own advice and she quit and she started her own consulting company (laughs) so i think she was possibly living vicariously through me with giving me that advice and then Wow, he he actually made a good go of it. Maybe I should do that too. And now she's 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 still running her consulting company. Um, so I think five years or so later, after she uh, after she um quit quit that same company and is now doing her own thing, going solo. So <laughs> it's 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 funny with how how life turns out, but sometimes it can be that uncanny.
0: For sure, and as you say, that's hilarious. The fact that she then did it as well, but you're both clearly very good at what you do, and. <laughs> What's that com- How's that company doing now that you both work for? Now that you have both gone, does it still exist?
1: Yeah, it was bought again and then bought again um, with all sorts of corporate corporate restructuring. Uh, as far as I know, it's it's the co- the company who purchased the company that purchased the company is, yeah. is, is quite is quite profitable. But of course, I like to think that it was because of the standard operating procedures and systems that I designed inside of the company that made it a saleable, valuable company
0: of course and i'm sure it was i'm sure you can put your you can put your stamp on that one so it's there so for what you do it must be quite difficult to get a reputation because there are so i'm not i'm not very familiar with the ghost writing industry so but i assume there are a lot of people out there that do your job but it's then actually getting the reputation of you are the person to come to so I assume that entails a lot of free very cheap labor to begin with to get testimonials how was that for you at first and how did how quickly did you manage to build your portfolio to get to the point you are now
1: yes yes so as i said i've ghostwritten over 40 books uh to 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 um kind of uh, run with what you're saying yes the first few products did not pay nearly what i ex- or i, I desired at, at, at the time but everyone does have to start somewhere in fact I always say that my very first freelance writing project I ever got paid $1.67 an hour. That's maybe a pound and a half or so I think, maybe a little bit less than that for 1 hour of labor, which of course is just horrific, horrific, well below the minimum uh, minimum wage. But I was willing to do it. And for me, that was my first confirmation that I was on the right path that someone will pay me outside of a job to write for them. So that Strangely enough, it was quite a confidence boost. Anyone who who earns any amount of money for themselves as a self-employed person will say that same thing. I made a couple of pounds doing the, working on this website, and it was the most rewarding money I've ever earned in my entire life. And, of course, it just goes on up from there. I certainly felt the same, the, the same way. To get back to the point you were bringing up about how does someone whose profession is mostly confidential between themselves and the clients, how do you word of mouth market? Well, one of the focuses that I have had to grow my company is to position myself not as a writer. Oh, oh I'll write a I'll write a a, a word document for you. You to figure out how to go get it published. I am a concierge all-inclusive solution. So when someone comes to me with their book idea, we write the book in a full-length manuscript. So it's like it's you know imagine it, whether it's a novel or it's nonfiction, full-length industry standard beautiful professionally written book, but we also reformat it for publication, digital, audio, and the actual print book the paperback. Um, And then we support in the marketing of it, the launching of it, the publishing. So we've called that part of the process ghost publishing because in ghost writing, someone else does the work, you take the credit. Ghost publishing, someone does the work, you have a book that's available for sale in over 100 countries. So it's really cool because you're buying a business. So what, our, what we've done to, to promote the business is create case studies. There have been a few authors over the years who didn't really care about a confidentiality agreement. And of course, we've really you know, leveraged that, uh, that transparency in the business to say, hey, here's how we do things. Here's what we did for previous clients. Whenever I'm talking to a, an aspiring author, I'll share with them a case study of what I did for a previous author. Like... Hey, you know, I sold 30,000 copies of my book in, a, in just a few months after launch. Joshua was instrumental in that. Hey, my book has brought in over $1 million into my business and it was only possible because Joshua wrote my book and helped me get it published. Like when you have those types of statements, nothing else matters and I have no competition at that point because the other writers say, um, I can write well, I have a creative writing degree. It's like that versus this guy made a million bucks off of his book. How did he do it? I need to talk to that guy. So the focus on results rather than my own abilities really does set me apart in this industry. And that's why even early on in my career, I was often the only ghostwriter anyone was talking to because of the deliverable that I was producing, which was not just a book. It's an actual business in which you, the author, are making royalties from day one.
0: For sure. So you actually have the connections to get a book on the shelf. That's correct so um, i assume that's what people find the most difficult part because anyone can go out and write a book but then to actually have it physically on a shelf must be quite hard but if then if they come to you you involve that in your service
1: yes what we've what we've done is we've taken with this ghost publishing model we take the best of self-publishing and the best of traditional brick and mortar publishing we've combined the pros and removed the cons from the process. So like with self-publishing, higher royalties, total creative control, those are the upsides. of, And it's speed, That's those are the upsides, the, the pros of self-publishing. The cons are, a lot of self-published books are just drivel quality, they're just awful. they I can't tell you how many authors that I've, that I've worked with that said, I really don't want this to look like a self-published book. <laughs> they'll, they'll specifically say that. I want to go an independent route like this ghost publishing thing. But I want to make sure it's not, it doesn't look like it's self-published. So that's always a priority. Traditional publishing, you have obviously quality, distribution, access to bookstores and libraries in countless countries. We bring that into the process as well to the point that when you look at one of my clients, one of my authors' finished books, it's indistinguishable from a traditionally published book by one of the big publishers out there in terms of its quality. And that's what we're really going for. That's what people are willing to pay for.
0: For sure. So for business owners, entrepreneurs, podcasters, influencers, you name it, what are the benefits of having a book? What avenues can having a book open for you?
1: I always tell authors that having a book is like having a key that opens any door for your business. What opportunities are you looking for? Are you looking to build authority with the future clients that you're targeting in your marketing campaigns? We'll put a book at the forefront of that. So people see you and they're like, wow, this person wrote the book on this topic. They're the most trustworthy on this. Do you want additional credibility in the media? Go to any website, The Guardian, The Telegraph, CNN, Fox News, any news website, and just search the keyword author of, and you'll find thousands of articles in which journalists specifically quote someone and then put behind their name author of And then the title of their book because when you're an author you are the recognized expert and that's the last real benefit of of, of being an author that has again multiple benefits that it can produce for you multiple results rather that being an author can produce and that is being the go-to expert because you've packaged your wisdom your secrets your successes into a 300 page masterpiece you're clearly not a charlatan A fraud a fly-by-night person trying to make a quick buck but you are the in fact recognized expert and of course what you can do with that book is use it to get meetings whether that's with potential investors whether that's with your dream 100 clients or maybe you want to use a book to generate leads for your online business um, and people can buy your course your program your services by reading your book you want speaking gigs a book can get those for you all of the above we have helped our clients do exactly the same inside of their businesses. So like, I always I always wanna quote Jay Conrad Levinson, anyone who's read Guerrilla Marketing, that that famous book on, on 12 business marketing tactics will be familiar with that. Jay always said that he made about 10 million uh, from that book. Only 30,000 in terms of his revenue was the royalties, but the spin-off books, the additional consulting, the speaking fees, the coaching programs, amounted to that remaining 9.9 million in revenue that he made from his book. We take that same approach with offers in which, yes, we've had clients who sold tens of thousands of copies every single month of their book, but the real money comes from you buy the book. You say, Oh my gosh, this person is amazing. I have to get more of their stuff. And then they join your program. They hire your consulting services, etc., etc., And that's where the real money comes from a book that's only possible because you have this ultimate authority building, credibility establishing, expertise enhancing masterpiece working on your behalf.
0: Sounds like I need to write a book on how to start a podcast. But no, as you say, that's it's incredible. And that case study there alone, the fact that only thirty thousand in um, that he actually made from his book alone, but it opened that door to make over nine million dollars, which is unfathomable it's like it's a huge amount of money and all from a book which is amazing so is that so what is one of the biggest success stories you've had with a client is that is that an example of one of in in that area or is there a bigger success that you're allowed to talk about
1: uh, that that that's kind of in the in the ballpark. Um, as I as I mentioned, there's an author in the digital marketing space that I that I worked with. Um, he he unsolicited, so he kind of went went away from our our uh, confidentiality agreement. He was like, I don't care who knows. He recorded a ninety second testimonial. He said, Hey, post this on your website. So I did, and it, mm-hmm. he and it, he says because of Joshua's work writing this book, helping me get it published, in, in, in twelve months. $1 million in revenue directly from this book would not have been possible without Joshua. Those are his words. And of course, it's, it's amazing because he had a relatively small audience at the time. Maybe, I think maybe several hundred in his Facebook group, maybe a couple thousand on his email list. Like we're not talking like a mega superstar at the time, which was, that makes his story so much more remarkable. Because when those A-list celebrities see a story like his, they go, oh my God, if I work with this guy, I can make even much more than that because my audience is 100,000 people. Or with one of my newest clients, he is a household name. I calculated in 200 million households this particular author is, is known. So, of course, we're expecting a gloriously profitable uh, launch and rollout of his book coming in the new year. So that uh, that approach where you think, how can this book, how can I open additional doors of revenue it's, a book is a multiplier, right? Think of all the services you already have, the speaking that you've done in the past, anything that you sell, a book comes in and it multiplies the potential revenue that you can receive inside of your business. And it's all because of a book. And even if you don't sell a copy of your book, I have one client who's in the manufacturing space. this is hilarious because he doesn't actually sell his book. He just prints a few copies of it. You know, brings, he literally puts them in the trunk of his car. When he goes to meet with a prospect, he either mails him a copy of the book ahead of time or he just drops it off with him during the meeting. And he uses that to get multi-million dollar consulting deals and, and, and product sales deals. And it's amazing because all he has to do is show them that book and they say, wow, you're the yeah. expert in this. That other CEO who's who's only been in the industry for this long, doesn't. they don't have a book. So it's in these unusual industries like manufacturing, you know, that's like, you're the first, the first established author, the first known author in your industry. So it's not even like you have to be in digital marketing or entrepreneurship or business. You can be in a wildly obscure category to be successful. I have another one who's in civil engineering, wildly popular, and successful another that's in water treatment of all the industries, right? But when you're the first person who says, I'm the author, I wrote the book on this industry, that, my friend, is the opener of doors.
0: For sure. And it's super interesting, even when you go into detail about these, as you say, not so people, normal person wouldn't think that person is going to have a book. But when they come out and go, I've got a book, you're going to think, wow, this guy must know his shit. He must know what he's talking about. So then, as you say, that expertise there there and then is displayed. So, money aside, though, that this job must be extremely fulfilling for you. Like, then the fact that your expertise and your knowledge in this area is helping these people to succeed—what people can't even imagine. Like, so much success, but this is all coming from your expertise. That must feel—that must be extremely self-fulfilling for you.
1: It does, and it makes all those sleepless nights in the cellar reading encyclopedias worth it.
0: For sure. So to contrast that, <laughs> but that aside then what's the worst day you've had? Cause we see all the success stories, especially on social media, we see the private jets, the fast cars, the mansions, but that is the product of what we all know was a hard, hard journey. So what was, if you can pick one a day out of just out of a hat, one of your worst days, what would that be?
1: Yes. Yes. I, I talked about this several, I think about four years ago or so on um, the side hustle show, a popular podcast for people who are yep. kind of you know, transitioning and, and I was definitely in, in hustle mode at the time. And this was a few months before I did that, that interview, but it was basically when I, I was convinced that I had um, meningitis, which was a, a brain disease and I had been burning the candle at both ends to try to make, make something of a real business here. I was in that transition from like freelancer to business owner and You're trying to figure out how to go from a self-employed, pulled in every direction, thousand hat wearing magician, making yeah. not a not as much as you should, to an actual business owner with consistent income. And I was having difficulty making that transition. So um, there was one night where one of my clients said something defective, like, "You don't sound like yourself." <laughs> I was on a call and I, I did. I something felt off, and and they and they said, "You know, what are your symptoms?" And I shared my symptoms, and they're like. You should probably get off this call and go to the emergency room to the hospital because you probably have um as i said meningitis a potentially deadly brain uh, brain disease and of course i had all the symptoms and so i i go in i'm disoriented by this time you know my my fiance at the time is there it's kind of everyone's kind of panicking you know the nurses the doctors um, uh, there, I hear over him whispering, like this guy has meningitis. <laughs> and, and so they put pumping me up with, with, with drugs, including morphine. Um, and I hear one of the doctors say to the nurse, let's try to make sure he makes it. <laughs> like, what? What? And I'm like, they probably, they probably should have had that conversation outside of the outside of the room. And so I'm sitting there on all these drugs, you know, half half disoriented, but I I wasn't quite in the state where I'm putting together these memories because one of my family members overheard them say that, and they're like, "Oh no, is this the end?" And so I'm I'm laying there laid up. They're gonna do a brain scan, I you know, I think some type of a, an MRI maybe, and I'm sitting there laying on that on that table, just like asking myself that question that a lot of people don't ask at that age, in their early 20s, is this it? And that's what I asked myself, is, is this it? And I thought about it for a second. And I my mind was taken back to when I left the cubicle. And I thought to myself, even if this is the it, I made the right decisions to get to to get to get this point. Obviously it, it wasn't my own fault that I, <laughs> I contracted this potentially deadly uh, uh, brain disease. But because I was living and working for myself, not for the man or for corporate America or whatever. But I was trying to blaze my own trail. I knew that I was on the right path. And even if this was it, that it was the right path. Of course, it turns out that I did not, uh, I did not pass away that night. Um, I did have several painful uh, procedures after that, with the pain of which still echoes on a, a cold winter's night now and again um but i i did i did recover and it was that that moments i guess you could say kept me on the path to go from frazzled solopreneur to established business person um that i am am today that was that was a great transition inside of my business and for me personally was that moment asking myself is this it
0: Wow, that must have been so, so scary, especially when you heard the guy say, just make sure he makes it. I wouldn't have known what to think. I would have been sitting there like, this guy's, as you say, we talk about experts. This guy's the expert. He's studied this to be where he is today. And well, he didn't he, write a book, so. Oh, the, well, if he had written a book, then you would have been, you would have been thinking, oh, crap, but this is it. Um, but I normally ask this question at the end of the episode, but this is a perfect segue into it now. But it's in relation to death, so completely on topic is, so are you afraid of dying?
1: You know, I'll tell you, I'm not sure. I'm, I I know that there's a certain percentage of your listeners who will be familiar with what's called simulation hypothesis. Have you heard of that before, Ethan? Yeah. Yes, yes. So the 30-second review, it's the idea that just as video games have become so much more advanced in the last 40 years, going from basically a bunch of pixels with Pong, right, back in the 1970s, to now where we have these vast simulated worlds with, lifelike graphics and virtual reality 40 years from now it is entirely possible that with additional technology video games will be indistinguishable from reality to the average gamer 40 years after that 40 years after that we could very well get to the point where we are in our day-to-day reality living simulated lives and so the idea of the simulation hypothesis is that you and I are actually in living inside of a simulation right now. Perhaps, as astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson suggests, we're an ancestor simulation, in which people in the, the the future are trying to figure out what went wrong, <laughs> and so we're, they're they're trying to piece together based on information on real people that what exactly went to what you know. Let's try to recreate the past, and so we're actually right now digital representations of who we once were. In the past or there could be any other manner of reasons that um are being simulated right now and there's also folks like uh, elon musk who are convinced that we're in a simulation other people that i could name drop but i get the idea that some of the smartest brightest most successful people on the planet are 100 percent convinced that we are living inside of a simulation that we are simulated some of us are non-player characters npcs others of us are actual players who either are aware that they're living inside of a simulation, that they're kind of getting their bearings in this world, or they have chosen to opt out of their memories and they live among us. Perhaps it's you, Ethan, perhaps it's me, that we're actual players inside of this simulated world. Every strange, uncanny thing you can imagine from paranormal activity to religious experiences and miracles is explained within simulation hypothesis because the simulators can allow for all religions to be true at once. They can also allow for all paranormal experiences to be valid, all coincidences to be valid. So to bring it all the way back around to our uh, our, our, our uh, question about, about death, I'm not sure because I'm not sure what death looks like. If we're organic matter or if we're digital, perhaps reincarnation is a nod to our skins or our the source code of each of us to be repurposed for something else so we don't ever actually die we can have this whole conversation you know uh, over and over exactly. and over again um, I'm, I'm sure but for me personally it's not fun to think about you know are we fact simulated or, 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 or are we real but at the end of the day i'm more so focused on living a life that i don't regret because i've been in that position before of is this it so having stood there and asked myself that question and i was okay to the point that you can be okay now I have more responsibilities. My wife and I, of course, we got my fiance and I, we got married. We have a son now. We have more responsibilities, obligations to, to clients. So for me, optimizing my living and living the, the best, most upright life that I possibly can, an exemplary life, that one that leaves a legacy for my descendants, um, that's my, my top priority so that whether or not death is to be feared or not, I live a life that I don't regret.
0: Definitely, and I find, as you say, that topic is super interesting, and that could be an episode for a podcast alone. Like it's it's one of those topics that you can definitely get into such a deep discussion about because people will have conflicting thoughts on what they actually believe, and as you say, I don't know. We could be, we couldn't be. I can. I some days I believe we are, some days I believe we don't. It changes, and because you hear all these different opinions and you see everyone saying different things, so it's all within. But it's just as you say living a life you don't regret. And that's exactly what I do, what I want to do as well. And the fact that you were there and you got to ask yourself that question. And at the time you said you were happy. You, you wouldn't, if you had gone, would you have, you wouldn't have minded because you had done what you wanted to do. You'd pursued what you wanted to do for yourself opposed to what doing something for someone else
1: yes it wasn't so much that i had a, a lifetime's worth of accomplishments and a legacy to pass on which i did not but it was i did not regret my choices in life yeah. to get to get where i had been they were not things like oh, i, w- I should have done this i wish I to do this if only i could go back there was none of that because even though i was so early on early in my life and in my career i was on the right path and i you know, I obviously want to conv- be convinced that I, that I still am, and I s- certainly would have to answer it the same way, uh, that if, if, if this is it, I still find myself on the proper path.
0: So where can you see this path going then? Where do you want this business to go? Because you refer to we a lot throughout this episode, so you've clearly got a team around you. How, do you. how can you see this team progressing, and where do you want it to end up in the end?
1: Yes. Yes. So my vision for the business is to give specifically entrepreneurs is to give them a way to manifest the voice behind their mission. So that's what drives the entrepreneur's wordsmith, this, this business is people who they have a powerful life changing industry upending message, helping them word it properly, putting everything all in one place to have a Bible for their business. You might say a sacred text that is the North Star for the direction of the business and for their industry for the rest of their natural lives. Talk about an amazing, exciting, fun vision. So I don't ever expect to be getting out of the ghostwriting business, not 20, not 40 years from now. But what I do want to do in order to create generational wealth for my family is, as I've said at the outset, we invest in rental properties. So we have several which produce residual passive income for the family. So so basically acquiring more properties, which we can pay for in cash because... Property in the Midwest is ridiculously inexpensive compared to some of the bigger cities around the world. So it's good to take the the profits that are from our earnings and put it right into investments that turn around within a couple of months, start earning some income off of that, getting tenants in there. Um, so basically multiplying what we've already done, adding to what we've already done, um, Something else I've done recently is, is tried to, to, well not tried, I'm I'm actually doing it, but passing on to other aspiring ghostwriters how to make it in this business and become a recession-proof big money ghostwriter so that no matter what happens on our economy in the coming years, you and your family are set. And I have a program that opens up in November where I'm taking my first cohort through this particular program to get to the levels where you're earning those six-month, 12-month projects, multiple six-figure income as a ghostwriter, and it all be a realistic result of following a specific, smart, proven process.
0: Sounds so exciting for you, and I, I'm excited for you. So do you You wake up every day and cannot wait to do what you do, I assume, because I would...
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it's uh, it, it, it's quite a... Quite a, quite a life that you can't, quite, can't, can't wait to get into. It makes me wonder if I'm one of the users rather than one of the non-player characters.
0: Full <laughs> circle, all, rela- all relates back. You have dropped some incredible value. We've had some super, super interesting conversations. I've learned a lot and thoroughly enjoyed my, enjoyed myself. But there are three questions on three topics that I don't believe are spoken about enough that I like to ask all my guests at the end of sing- every single episode. So we've already done death, so that only leaves us with two but these are in relation to money and relationships. The one in relation to money, I personally don't think relates directly, but some do, most don't, but I like to hear your thoughts regardless. So question number one is, what does the word success mean to you?
1: It looks like waking up at about 4.45 in the morning without your alarm, And get your get your bearings in those few waking moments between dreams and reality. And your sleeping your half-asleep self says, Is it time to get up? And then your waking part of yourself says, I can't wait to get up. And you snap awake without caffeine and you hit what's next. And that's all because you want to, because you're you're pulled. Rather than, oh, I'm going to push myself to get up. Oh, I hate this job. I hate my life. I hate this house. I hate this family. I hate this spouse. But rather, you're pulled by what excites you, that you're building around you. And that you can experience even in your early 20s, as I have, or later on down the line. So that is an image of success, the 445 excitement that wakes you up to start your day before the world has even gotten out of their 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 rem cycle that that success yes
0: i love that and you're that's the first time someone's hit it from that angle and this is why i love asking that like these questions at the end because i get so many different answers and they all impact me i look at them and think god yeah agreed and it just gives me more to look at as well as when as i hope it helps the listeners think about this sort of thing as well but that seeing that relating that to a vision and scenario that's the first time someone's done that so i great job something new something different That's what we love to hear so see if you can do that with the next question as well with regards to relationships so throughout your journey so far have you found it difficult to maintain relationships whether that be with family friends loved ones time with your time with your child children how or have you found ways to for those people to accompany you on your journey so found ways that they can actually experience your journey with you
1: Yes, as a married man with a, a family, in this case, a, a little boy, you find that single and or childless people, they just kind of fade from your life, unless they're already in your family, like a brother or sister, sister-in-law, for example, um, you know, new, new spouse, for example, um, or they're one of your clients or vendors they fade from your life because they just don't quite get what you're going through, you know, trying to raise a little human <laughs> uh, in a functional way, uh, building a, a business with your family. And of course, it's my case, but my wife is the vice president of entrepreneurs, wordsmith. We have, of course, a team of people that support. So what what we're building, it requires several hands, but it, they're, they're key roles. So for me, I found that Obviously, the you know I think the most important relationship right now would be with with my wife and of course our son. And then there is our obligations and responsibilities to our clients. In a lot of ways, those replace your "Hey, let's go drinking on the weekends, bro." Sort of sort of relationships because you know, I'm talking to them on weekends, you know, you know troubleshooting and making sure everything's going, going well and bouncing ideas back and forth on the weekends, like via, via text or WhatsApp or something like that. Like, that's what we do. So I, I do not feel socially unfulfilled, but I'm okay with those relationships with people who were just, we're just not at the same, same page in life. It's okay to, to release them into their own journey for sure.
0: So how do you, prioritize between your wife and kid and your work because obviously as you said your wife is the vice president so she must understand what you're doing which is obviously a dynamic that must work quite well because if you're stressed and you know you've got lots of work to do she's going to understand that as well so that must work quite well but how do you prioritize between the two then
1: yes it's it's common i guess you could say what needs must be met yeah and the primary of course is our little one And after that, obviously, comes health. And and along with that comes what do our clients need from us? And, of course, we are sticklers for project management and tight deadlines fulfilling our obligations. So everything is planned months in advance so we know when stuff has to be done. And as new projects come up, sales calls come up, podcast interviews come up, we adjust. We work with it. And we're okay with being flexible because we know that that the ends we're working for are not the means themselves. Like this is not it so to speak right where we're working towards a point where we can have more students that we're training in the ghostwriting program the ghost Write and prosper program it's called so we can have a bigger and high, higher higher value longer term relationship with with office so we can have the rental properties so if at any point we're like let's put a pause on this and just leave town for the summer like we can, we can do that because we have the residual passive income from our real estate that takes care of all of our bills. So we, we know where we're going. We know what we're working for. We have the vision and that makes the sacrifices, the long hours, the little sleep worth it.
0: You're clearly a very good team, and I love that. And I congratulate you for that as well. So, Josh, we've dropped some incredible value throughout this episode. We've had some amazing conversations. I can't wait to listen to it back over, and I cannot wait for the listeners to just take it all in and actually go and put it to action. But where can they follow up with you, whether they have any questions, and where can they find your services if they want to write a book and become an expert?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm happy to chat with anyone, whether you're the aspiring author or the aspiring big money ghostwriter who wants to make their profession in this land as well. Come settle the territory with me. Come on down. If you're the aspiring author who wants to find out like, is your book idea any good? Is it actually going to establish you as an expert? Head over to entrepreneurswordsmith.com. Entrepreneurs is plural. Word and Smith are... Word and Smith. entrepreneurswordsmith.com you'll find there a book ideas generator that will help you get some some structure to the ideas that are in your head so you can actually come up with a winning book idea in 30 seconds or less. Free tool, no opt-in required. If you're that aspiring ghostwriter who wants to make it in this industry, head on over to ghostwriteandprosper.com. I put together a free set of trainings that debunk the seven myths about ghostwriting that keep most ghostwriters broke as F.
0: Love it. And they will be in the show notes below for everyone. So you don't have to remember those. Just simply click below. Once again, Joshua, thank you for your time. I cannot appreciate it more. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of CEO Journals. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast. And I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible business owners and entrepreneurs every single week. So you can really help me out by smashing that subscribe button and by leaving me a 5 star review over in the iTunes store. It literally takes 2 seconds and it will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I'm going to be talking to another incredibly interesting guest. I'll be discussing their journey and providing tips to all you aspiring and current business owners. Have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to CEO Journals.